three on the way. Good! And Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am your Cavalier fan host, Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, at Fear the Fro Pod on Twitter, or if you want to email the podcast. I've started to get more questions at bob at fropod.com. Not enough to warrant a mailbag episode, but at some point, if the need arises or the demand arises, I will do that. Right now, though, after three games, Since the Thanksgiving break here, I am back to celebrate the Cavaliers on the right side of the scoreboard in a game that really had no place being this close. Entering today's game against the Detroit Pistons, the Cavaliers found themselves missing four key components in the lineup. All-star center Jared Allen, Kevin Love, Lamar Stevens, and Karis LeVert. But despite that, this should be a game that the Cavs win going away because the Pistons were extremely shorthanded themselves. Missing Cade Cunningham, Jay Nivey, Isaiah Stewart, and Boyan Bogdanovich. Four starters out of the mix. So we got a different look from these Detroit Pistons. Marvin Bagley, the sole person to really fear in the first half of this game. I guess a little bit of Alec Burks. But in general, we saw a lot of Marvin Bagley early. Terrible shooting from the Cavs throughout the game. And then just enough in the fourth quarter as Mitchell knocked down his first three-pointer. Garland did not hit a single one as the Cavs finally pulled it together in crunch time and due to their extreme aggression getting to the free throw line, they were able to eke out a victory here in a game which probably shouldn't have been that close. But here's the thing. It's an ugly win. There's no way around it. Horrible shooting. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, just one for 12 in the first quarter. But all those things considered, it's a W. If you can escape a game like tonight, even against a bad team, devoid of four of the members of their starting lineup, you just take the win. You don't pour into overanalyzing what is just a shooting night we haven't seen from both Garland and Mitchell, and it came on the same evening. The fact you escaped that, due largely to Evan Mobley and the sheer willpower of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell to not be deterred by their lack of making shots and continuing to force the issue, to force the whistles. That's what got him the win tonight. And, and that's what you hope to see from those teams who turn from upstart teams into true contenders is that they sustain that will. They sustain that energy start to finish. And the Pistons should not be at that place yet. They're too young. They're too early on in this. I do think that they got some gutty play. Killian Hayes and Donovan Mitchell were getting into it. And the fact that Hayes has been written off by many 16 points, eight assists, trying his best to slow down Garland and Mitchell, and he too finished with five personal fouls, responsible for many of the things that sent them to the line late in the game. But you certainly can't say it was due to lack of heart, because he, Burks, Bay, and even Diallo gave, because he, Burks, Bay, and Diallo all brought a ton of energy late in the game. The Cleveland Cavaliers shot just 43% from the floor and sub 30%. From three. Between Garland and Mitchell, two for 13 from beyond the arc. Darius was 0 for 5 and 4 for 19 from the floor. So I think you had to feel pretty good about the continued aggression 
from those two as the game wore on because it really did feel like the Cavaliers in the second half would cut it to one point. They even took the lead at one moment, and then you'd see a four or five point run from the Pistons. And then they'd cut it down again, get it even. But finally, they took over in the fourth quarter and they managed to hold on. And a lot of that is attributed to the aggression of the guards, Garland and Mitchell. Mitchell again, over 30 points, finishing with 32 points. 10 times now that he's done that and continuing to pace the Cavaliers, averaging north of 30 points a game. So just an incredible start for him, despite what was not an incredible shooting night tonight. Unsung star of the game tonight, Evan Mobley. And we're going to talk about this more later in the podcast. I've seen him catching some strays on NBA Twitter, NBA Reddit for a horseshit analytical regression. Well, I hope those same critics who want to say, look at his Raptor score, we're watching tonight. Isaiah Livers has the ball on the corner three-point elbow late in the game. Marvin Bagley calling for it in the post. Evan Mobley jumps the passing lane and fronts him, forcing Isaiah Livers into an up and down and a turnover. That, right after he banged down a three-pointer, went two for two from beyond the arc today, and followed that up by getting fouled and going to the line. Now his free throw shooting was bad by Cavalier standards, not by Piston standards tonight, but two for five from the line. He split that pair and then he went 0 for two later in the corner. So one for four in the fourth quarter from the free throw stripe, that's not going to get it done. But a big double-double and huge defense in taking Bagley out of the game, that certainly will get it done. Marvin Bagley III in the first half had 15 points as they held on to a 56-51 lead at half. But in the second half, Marvin Bagley scored just four points. Five of seven in the first half, one for five in the second half, and three turnovers to boot. An interesting starting lineup from the Cavs as they took on the Pistons tonight, where Robin Lopez got the start, but played less than four minutes as he immediately looked like a fish out of water. Now, I love Lopez's personality. I love his screens. He's perhaps the best screener on the team, probably by a country mile. Allen is solid. Lopez is great. Mobley is subpar. After just fluffing up Evan Mobley there and more, later to come. I will say, if there's one area where he needs to make a massive leap, it's in getting contact on his actual screens. They are very soft. He seems to be afraid of the whistle. And tonight, he did get tagged for an offensive foul. The sad part is, he wasn't even facing the guy trying to keep up with Donovan Mitchell, and that was the most contact he put on a guy the whole game. And it was with his ass. It wasn't even when he was facing him. So, he could stand to improve setting picks Without Allen in there, you saw the defenders hugged much tighter up on Mitchell and Garland, in part because they weren't getting freed up on the initial screen, but also because Evan Mobley doesn't have the gravity that Jared Allen does when he's just camped underneath the hoop, and guys can contest easier. Now, they got to the line. They outscored the Pistons by 14 points at the free throw stripe, which was critical to winning this game. So they played through it, but certainly their efficiency suffered because of it. Now, back to why I brought this up initially. Robin Lopez played under four minutes because once we took him out of the game, the Cavs decided to go to Mamadi Diakite the rest of the way, and his first shift was big. Two big blocks in that first half, including four points, and his stat line, nothing to write home about. That's where it finished. But it was exciting to see a guy who, after preseason, I think a lot of us felt like he outperformed Robin Lopez. He looked faster. 
His range looks better. He didn't make a three-pointer tonight, but he made one last game in garbage time. And he seems comfortable. His stroke looks okay from outside. And I guess my hope was, well, you know what? Maybe you free Evan Mobley up to do a little bit more inside if you have a guy who's a little rangier, a little more active. You know where Lopez is going to be. He's going to be basically camped under the rim. He will get you some offensive rebounds, some defensive rebounds. But he's laterally not nearly as quick as Diakite. And I do think there's something to be said for the energy that he brought in that second quarter after what was just an objectively terrible start to this game for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Shades of Lamar Stevens last year or Dean Wade last year, who when called upon, infrequently as it may be, and he's likely to get buried again when we're back to full strength. But certainly, he did make a compelling argument for leaning towards sliding Mobley to the five when Jared Allen is out of the lineup and going with either Wade or Stevens or him at the four. And Okoro saw a long stretch of basketball. He's looked better these last few games. Statistically, it's nothing crazy. He's averaging just eight points over his last five games, but 13 points against the Bucks in that loss and seven points, six rebounds tonight. He's shooting 55% and 36% from three over that five-game stretch, so an improvement. It's not where we ultimately want him to land, but it is a step in the right direction. Now to the Pistons side of the court. I liked what I saw out of Isaiah Livers tonight. I thought he did an excellent job making it difficult for Donovan Mitchell, and the shooting reflects that. A guy that typically has been flirting with high 40%, low 50% shooting, and tonight... Garland shot just 20% from the field, and Mitchell shot sub-40%. So, not their night. Dean Wade, just 1 for 5, 0 for 4 going into the fourth quarter there. Did manage to knock down a big three-pointer, though, in a period where it mattered most. So, what to take away from this game? Well, there's a few things. I think we saw the struggles that this team will have without Jared Allen. We were able to escape them tonight because we were playing a team like the Detroit Pistons. But against the Milwaukee Bucks... We saw how difficult it can be for Evan Mobley when forced to take on some of the more traditional bigs. And taking on a defensive player of the year front runner like Brooke Lopez, who had another six blocks, nine blocks over the course of the two games against the Cavaliers this season. I hope this is not an extended absence for Allen. I want a healthy Cavs team when we take on the Raptors. If for no other reason, then, there are so many Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley sycophants who will delight if Mobley struggles, and Mobley is so much more effective when he's able to play alongside the big man. Now, there's one other subject that I wanted to touch on on the Fear the Fro podcast, and that is our sophomore star, Evan Mobley. I find it irritating and disingenuous. When I see people parallel NBA players who are vastly different and utilized in vastly different ways, And I think many of you know where I'm heading if you're on NBA Reddit or NBA Twitter, which is that in the past days, I've seen a lot of people throwing around wins above replacement or Raptor numbers as an indictment of Evan Mobley, as a way to try to make the case that Evan Mobley has regressed. And I find that an exceptionally disingenuous argument for a couple of reasons. First are the inherent flaws of the metric to begin with. Wins above replacement factors in counting stats. It does not factor in contributions that do not show up on a box score. And from the very beginning, the entirety of the argument that Evan Mobley is a more desirable prospect 
than these other players, Wagner, Green, Cade Cunningham, Barnes. It was based around the premise that he was a two-way, super impactful player with top five defender potential. Contributions Evan Mobley makes in a game that do not show up on a box score, do not show up in wins above replacement. So if his length disrupts a pass, so much so that the player throwing it heaves it out of bounds, turnover, does that count for Evan Mobley? No. If a player takes a bad shot because he's intimidated by Mobley's presence in the lane, does that show up for Evan Mobley? No. What shows up are points, rebounds, assists, actual blocks, actual steals. Those things all factor in. But to take that metric, which is always going to skew towards guys like Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham, who rack up massive counting stats on massive usage, and use that to parallel themselves against Evan Mobley is not a valid argument, in my view. Secondly, any of the many other metrics that you can look at to assess where Evan Mobley sits now versus a year ago, he's gotten better. His true shooting percentage has taken over a 3% leap. Usage has actually gone down from his rookie to sophomore year, and that's totally understandable for those people who are actually watching the game and see with their own eyes what's happening in Cleveland. You bring in a player like Donovan Mitchell, and the expectations people had for whatever it may be. I said that I hoped he came out of this year averaging around 18 and 9. I would not be disappointed with a season where the statistical output is the exact same as his rookie year. And tonight, we saw Evan Mobley moved up the pecking order due to injuries. But we also saw the downside of what it might take to get Evan Mobley to be this statistical counting stats darling. It is far more difficult for this team to win when Evan is relied upon to be all things defensively, but also a primary creator. Jared Allen's role on this team is critical, and not because of stats, but because of the direct impact that he has on Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. I think you could make the argument that he's the Cavaliers' second most important player. On a night-in, night-out basis, the impact that Jarrett has on both sides of the floor, taking the ceiling of our other stars and raising it even higher is massive. You throw single coverages at Evan, he's going to get to his spots. Jarrett allows for that. And that's what I'm rooting for out of Evan, more so than counting stats, is getting to the places where he's the most effective and doing it with regularity. I didn't even think Mobley had a particularly good defensive game today. Not by his standards, anyway. He had some big moments when it mattered. His second half was far better than his first half. My assessment of Evan Mobley is almost entirely based on defense. How impactful was he on that end of the floor? On the offensive side of the floor, we can win whether he's contributing a lot or a little, depending on how things are going for Garland and Mitchell. I still hold some hope. Counting numbers increase over the course of the year, but I think... That balance is something that just has to come organically. You can't force it, like the way that some of these teams can force higher usage out of Jalen Green and Wagner to get them to the place they want them to be sooner. They've got nothing to lose. They're playing in blowouts. They can experiment. They can help them develop their bag. We can't do that with Evan Mobley without it risking coming at the detriment of team success. To say that Evan Mobley is regressed, inaccurate. And his player impact rating amongst all those rookies that are now sophomores, it's second. Franz Wagner is the only one who is ahead of him in that statistic this year. And last year, Mobley led all rookies 
And if you look at the player impact estimates of the Cavs in general, you see it basically mirrors how the fandom feels about all of them. There is one outlier and that that statistic puts Kevin Love as the most impactful Cavalier, which I don't think all of us would agree with. But certainly from there, it goes Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, and then Mobley below that. I would say that that's a pretty fair way to look at it. Some might say Garland more so than Allen, but I just think Allen is so impactful and so critical in our defense that when he's out there, I just know how I feel that the Cavaliers can win. But let's get this back. Cavalier fans really should be disconnected from the idea that Evan hasn't gotten any better if his counting numbers haven't gotten any better. Because we've seen he's stronger, he's more efficient, and statistically, he's basically dead even counting stats with last year. And that's with an all-NBA MVP caliber player added to the team roster. Did Houston add substantial scoring? I guess minimally from Jabari Smith Jr. Did Orlando? No. Did Toronto? No. Did Detroit? Jaden Ivey? Yes. But Cade, it's hard to parallel him to any of these people because he's been far more injured than the rest of this squad. While Mobley, Wagner, and Green have played 20 games apiece, Cade is at just 12 games. And we saw he missed the game today. So it's been a rough season for Detroit. And the other thing, the Cavaliers, they don't have to take a player like a Franz Wagner. In Orlando, if he doesn't make a big leap from rookie to sophomore year, what more do the fans have to hold on to? They have to have something to celebrate. So go ahead. Find your way. Figure out what you're good at. Improve your overall game. You have the luxury of doing so without the pressure of needing to win. Evan Mobley can't just decide, okay, tonight everything's going to run through me. And that's not his personality either. You can't play outside of the team concept when your team is actually competitive. Jalen Green and Wagner, you want to parallel those guys? Fine. They can't be parallel to Mobley. Mobley's closest peer amongst that group is Scotty Barnes, who is struggling at this point. And as we go into this Raptors game, he has seen a marked dip. His effective field goal percentage has fallen by nearly 4%. His true shooting percentage has fallen by nearly 5%. And despite increased usage, it has not come with increased efficiency. But again, he's going to be able to grow into what he is because he has a lot of support around him. This Raptors team is the closest parallel to Mobley we can find. So as we go into this game, these are the matchups that I get most excited about. And the reason why I want Allen in there so much is not just for the on-court result of a win, but it's because I think it allows us the best chance to see ultimate Mobley on a game where we know his performance is either going to be hugely important in avenging the opening day loss to the Raptors, or if it goes poorly, thrown back in our faces if he happens to struggle. I don't care if I look at a box score and I see Franz Wagner scored over 20 points again. He's flirting with that 25-5 and statistical output. That's all great. But in the 11 times that the Magic have played where Wagner has scored over 20 points this season, they've won two of those 11 games. What does it matter if it doesn't come within the team progression where everybody's output is better because you happen to be contributing as much as you are. And it's a tough mindset to shake when we've witnessed a lot of losing teams and we've been in those places. But now we need to remove ourselves from those places and not get so high and low on a game-to-game basis on Evan Mobley 
who's being asked to be the ultimate glue guy. He's not being asked to be the best sophomore. And that's not an indictment on Wagner. I love Wagner. He deserves all the credit. And it's funny to think back to when we were drafting, there was a lot of discussion about if the Cavs would consider trading out of the third spot and trading down with the Magic to acquire both of their picks. Now, the Magic took Wagner with one of those, and you could make the argument that they got the steal of the picks between 5 and 10. He has been incredible, and he and I love his game. I love his size. I love his ability to blend efficient scoring with creating. I'm a fan. If there's one of the sophomores that I think you can strongly make the case has stood out above the rest, it would be him. I don't like when people tear down Green and Wagner and say, oh, they're just all empty numbers. There's truth between the two extremes. Evan Mobley, you can't say Evan Mobley hasn't improved simply because his counting numbers haven't gone up after the addition of Donovan Mitchell. And you can't say that everything Wagner and Green do is empty numbers when we've seen their efficiency increase, when we've seen their usage increase, and when they've still performed at a high level. So I'm not discrediting any of the players. I think Barnes will find his way, but I'm done hearing people parallel Jalen Green or Franz Wagner to Evan Mobley. Mobley wasn't drafted to be the primary offensive option. He was drafted with the understanding that his ability to ratchet our team defense up to a level that we're seeing. This is a Cavs team that is constantly top three in net rating. We can afford to wait while Mobley grows into his offensive skill set and grows into his body. That's another thing I see overlooked frequently. He's being compared to players who rely on speed when he's a big man who will need a lot more bulk before he's able to reach his utmost ceiling of potential. That's going to take seasons. We just heard about it in this Bucks game, how Giannis was praising him and saying he has all the tools. It'll just take time. He has to be committed. Same thing with Giannis. Giannis started slow. He worked in the weight room. He put on weight. He worked on his skills. He got better in all those things. And those same things can happen to Mobley over a longer period of time. But to hold him to the standard that you hold wings and guards is silly. They're not comparable players. You want to compare him to Scotty Barnes? Fine. It's not a perfect comparison. Barnes has the ball in his hands more. All four of those other people that I mentioned, Wagner, Green, Barnes, Cunningham, they all have usages over 20%. Mobley does not. So go ahead, celebrate your counting stats victory. But as the Cavs pile up wins, all I want to see from Mobley is continued progression. Work on your screen setting. Work on your free throws. And I love that he hit both his threes, but I don't even need that. I want him to impose his will and take the shots that he wants to take, regardless of what the defender wants to give him. And when people resist letting him get to the paint, I want him to grow that physicality so he can force people to give him the looks that he wants to take, not settle. People can't block his little hook shots for the most part, but they can destabilize him down low if they're a big enough body. And that's the thing that's going to make him basically an impossible cover as time goes on and his strength goes up and up. I want him to use his physicality, get his defenders off balance, and keep working on that part of the game. Make the buckets that he gets even easier. So yeah, tonight, great. 20 points, 10 rebounds. Those games are fantastic, and I love when they're there because people get to take a victory lap on Twitter. But I feel good about where Evan Mobley is so that is this episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. I think we have discussed enough here. We got another game on the horizon. Got to get ready for the Raptors, and hopefully Siakam's not back, but I think there's a distinct chance 
that he may be. I've been hearing rumblings that he's practicing, that he's much closer to a return. I would take a hampered Raptors team after that eye gouge they put on Darius Garland in game one. But regardless, the most important thing is a W. So let's get that tomorrow night. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed, to everyone who listens and leaves ratings. I am very thankful for each and every one of you. And exciting things to come. I uh, spent far too much money on Black Friday, all for passion project purposes that I hope to pour into this podcast. So we will see what the future holds. But please join me on the next episode. Thank you very much. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.